You're listening to the Broadway Podcast Network. Visit bpn.fm to discover more. Hey guys, it is Ryan. I'm not sure if you know this about me, but I'm a bit of a fun fanatic when I can. I like to work, but I like fun too. It's a thing. And now the truth is out there. I can tell you about my favorite place to have fun. Chumba Casino. They have hundreds of social casino style games to choose from with new games released each week. You can play for free anytime, anywhere and each day brings a new chance to collect daily bonuses. So join me in the fun. Sign up now at ChumbaCasino.com. No purchase necessary. VTW. Void. We're prohibited by law. See terms and conditions. 18 plus. With Lucky Land slots, you can get lucky just about anywhere. Dearly beloved, we are gathered here today to... Has anyone seen the bride and groom? Sorry. Sorry. We're here. We were getting lucky in the limo and we lost track of time. No. Lucky Land Casino. With cash prizes that add up quicker than a guest registry. In that case, I pronounce you lucky. Play for free at LuckyLandSlots.com. Daily bonuses are waiting. No purchase necessary. Void were prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details. I'm Jamie Dumont. I'm Jennifer Samard. I'm Rob Russo. And this is The, the Fabulous, Fabulous Invalid. Hi, Rob. Hi, Jennifer. Hi. Hi. Hey. What's going on? Love the snacks today, the cucumber sandwiches. It's tea time. It's tea time. And scones, or as we know, they're called fat bastards, the way I'm I still can't believe that's what they're really called. Google it. Fat bastards. I believe you. I just... It's like a... It's like a... Or they're called rock cakes. Rock cakes. And what's the quiche? What is the... Uh, oh, it's just a bunch of shit in the quiche. It's shit quiche? It's a shit quiche. It's a delicacy. It's, just, it's literally all the vegetables from dinner last night thrown into. Oh. So there's asparagus and potatoes. Well, I can't wait and... to try it. You know I love a quiche. Well, that's sort of why I made it, because yeah, we were chatting and you said you love a quiche. Yeah. And, you know, I always struggle with vegetarian requirements, Rob Russo. You shouldn't. And No, I know. You're actually, I have to say, of all my vegetarian friends, and this is a dig at someone specific who's <laughs> listening, you are so easy, because you will, you, there's no, like, pre-approved, you'll go any restaurant. Always you're, something to eat. You, and you also, like... You don't mind a little bone broth in your soup. It doesn't kill you, right? right? Like yeah, you don't seek it out. But yeah. yeah. So yeah. you're 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 very easy as a vegetarian. Oh, and well, Jennifer, you. you're just a delight. Oh. But you're not a vegetarian. No. No. No, I'm not. I feel like we've eaten meat together. Although that doesn't come out well, quite right. <laughs> I mean, our, our husband's listening. <laughs> oh, I'm <laughs> sorry, Brad. Sorry, Brad. Oh, can I say his name? Is that all right? Yeah. All right. It's fine. Your husband's very sweet. Thank you very much. He is Yeah, it was so sweet. nice to meet him at Oklahoma. Yeah. Yeah. yeah that was fun. We did a that a week fun. ago. And he, he well, I don't know. By the time this comes out, I guess several weeks. Like two ago. weeks. He gave I us know, a we, really great nugget. I don't know if, if you guys recall this conversation, but um, Jackie Hoffman tweeted the other day. Do you think they throw away the corn that they rip up in Oklahoma? And I had the answer because your husband told us mm-hmm. that they, the cast, you know, the cast and crew take it home and they've been swapping recipes on what to do with all the corn. Right. Well, we couldn't get an answer out of Mary Testa. She didn't quite know. Right. She assumed they threw away, the, away everything. We didn't talk about the corn with. No, we, we talked about the, the corn bread. We talked about the like the yeah. mix and all that right. stuff. That's she did right. say they reused the Jiffy boxes. 
Oh, okay. I think it's nice I, to know. Yeah. I, I always hate waste, you know. So it's nice to know that mm. it's people are being thoughtful about these things. I did pay particular attention to how she cracked her eggs, did, oh, based yeah. off our conversation. Right, Aaron. I did too. <laughs> I've been watching that. Me three. Me three. I actually look at now how I crack an egg. I tried the Mary Testa way, which is two cracks, but it doesn't work for me. I so rarely crack an egg. Well, I mean, there's, <laughs> there's time. You're young, Rob. Yeah, we can I've get you a Kraken. Of... <laughs> see oh, what I did see what there. You did there. All right. So, what's going on? What do we want to talk about? Well, I um, was so delighted this past weekend. By, well, I guess by the time this airs, it won't be this past weekend. But um, to receive a New York Times magazine, a style magazine, uh, this week was titled "America 2024," and what they did is they commissioned 15 playwrights to each write a 10-minute play about, it was set in the world in 2024, so five years from now. Um, and it's a really, I, I brought it here, if you want to page through it, it's a really, really cool um, magazine because it contains the text of these plays, but also they have a digital component where they got a lot of really wonderful actors, um, you know, people like... David Hyde Pierce. Like David Hyde Pierce and Nathan Lane and John Lithgow um, to, to do videos, uh, basically readings of, of the plays that you can find on the New York Times website. Um, and it just, I don't know, I, I, I've, been, I've been so struck by the very prompt of it um, because, you know, we, we have historically and do in the present look to the theater to, to imagine the future. Uh, and that's really what, what the prompt was. And if you read some of the plays, I mean, they're mostly dark, I think, which is a reflection. Well, of, we live in a dark time. A dark time, right. And that's, you know, that's part of the, the, the civic function that the theater has always served. Uh, tip of the hat to the New York Times for assembling 15 amazing American playwrights and giving them this platform to think about the future, which is something that we as a society don't do enough of. No, right. not at all. Can you imagine if we thought about the future, we wouldn't maybe be in the situation where we wouldn't be in the present, would we? Mm-hmm. <laughs> well, I'm glad you brought this in and brought this up, and I'm sure someone had to cast these people in the show. Oh. And luckily, a... luckily, we're going to talk to someone who can help us oh, out about that topic. Yeah. Shall we talk to Tara Rubin? Let's do it. Please. Great. Finish your cookie, oh. Aaron. What cookie? Oh, yeah. I mean, <laughs> <Sorry>. <laughs> there are cookies. <laughs> No, I'm never making cookies again after the last time I gave them all away. I've well, that's the wrong it. answer to that problem. Yeah, that's I gave a go- cute boy the cook all the cookies, and I got all yelled at cookies. by these two. I gave literally all, all the cookies. Yes. Before any of us had a cookie. Well, I thought, I, okay, in my defense, I thought everyone had had cookies already. I didn't realize that nobody had had a cookie. Mm-hmm. Jamie Dumont, giving away his cookies. Given, <laughs> given my cookies to a cute boy, it's the story of my life. <laughs> Today, we are thrilled to welcome casting director Tara Rubin. She began her career with the legendary casting office Johnson Liff Associates, working on such shows as Phantom of the Opera, Cats, and Sunset Boulevard. For over 18 years, her own company, Tara Rubin Casting, has become a powerhouse on Broadway, casting over 50 shows like Jersey Boys, Aladdin, School of Rock, Dear Evan Hansen, and this season's smash hit, Ain't Too Proud. Welcome, Tara. Thank you for coming today. Thanks for having me. Welcome. Oh, we got all the shows right. There were so many. It was hard to pick which ones to put. Which? What are your favorites? Oh gosh. Um, well, my current I, my current favorite is "Ain't Too Proud," of course, because it just opened and it's enjoying some success. And and um, I love that company. Those actors are all very dear to me and and dear to all of us at our office. So and Des, of course, has been a a wonderful. L- 
loyal collaborator all these years, so I've been really lucky to work with him. And um, then to have, you know, a book by Dominique Moriso, and you know, and, and you're doing a musical, it's sort of like we hit the jackpot. It doesn't get know? any better than that. <laughs> mm-hmm. And it sounds so good. It really, it does. really does. We we had John Miller in here a little while ago, and uh, it's just, it, it, it might be the best sounding show on Broadway. It's oh, really extraordinary. I'm so happy for Derek Baskin. Oh, I, know, oh, yeah. I know him from Spelling Bee. Such a dream. What Such a voice a dream. and what a human being. It really, truly. And Such all of those guy. men are just, they're, they're kind of, you know, ready to take over as leaders of our, of our industry and of, our, of their profession. You know, they're, they're all really, uh, um, they have that great combination of being really modern and forward thinking and then like have a great respect for everything that came before them, you know, in a way when, when you read their interviews and stuff. So I, I have really enjoyed seeing their success. Well, and I apologize for asking you to choose your favorite child. Because yeah, I have fair question. Yes, as a mother of two, I I, um, I wouldn't really normally even answer that question. But and then you know, last season we had the band's visit, and that was also oh. a great, great you know experience to be a part of that. Uh, you know, from its early days at Atlantic Theater Company to the you know surprise response it had. I mean, not that I was surprised, but. You know, it's such a special piece. So, um, I I'm very happy that these last two years that we were able to be involved in two shows that have been that were so unique and, and special. Very very special shows. Um, so I thought we'd start. I wanted to read. I I spoke to a, sort of a cross section of people that work in the theater about what they think a casting director's role is. Mm-hmm. So okay. I thought I'd read a couple of them to you and see if they track or what what you think of that. So I spoke to a publicist, not my husband, um, (laughs) and he said, I think of a casting director kind of like a real estate agent. You tell them what you're looking for, and then they find the very best available offerings that meet your criteria. Does that sound... It's part of what we it's do. Part of what you do. Okay, mm-hmm. let me that's let me very, read. And that's for that part of what we do. That's a very very good description, especially the part about the best available offerings. Um, so yes, that is definitely an aspect of our profession. <laughs> okay. Well, we're going to get into what you actually do a little bit <clears throat> in just a second. But mm-hmm. then I spoke to somebody else, a, a producer, and they said a casting director is an entertainment professional who scouts, screens, and curates talent for specific roles to present to producers and creatives. And then I spoke to one other person, and I think they just they, they wrote something very long, and I'll tell you who it is later because they <laughs> love you dearly. But what they did say is that I thought was really interesting is that a good casting director finds ways to keep the room fresh so actors seen late in the day are not disadvantaged by the wandering creative teams. Mm, that's and very good. I, yeah, I thought that... A, yes, that's a very um, uh, specific kind of point of view about what we do and, and um, it seems like that's come from someone who has been in an audition room and, and understands how energies can flag or the the general temper in the room can begin to change. And so that person seems like definitely a person who has been or understands what the casting room is like. I Absolutely. Think. Yeah. They also said that one of your great talents 
was that you're an, actually an incredible actor, and so that you elevate an actor when you read with them. Oh, gosh. Uh, I, I always refer to myself as being like the least successful actor I've ever oh. met. So that's very, I'm chuffed by that, as they say. But Well, it was regalis. <laughs> that's actually the perfect transition, because um, you know my, my first question is, how did you come to be a casting director? It's not something that I think a lot of kids you know, dream of as kids. Um, or that there was necessarily, you know, a lot of programs out there to train a, a casting director. How did you come to this this profession? That's really true, and that's something I think that uh, our professional organization is trying to address. The Casting Society of America. We've been trying to uh, promote what we do to young people and speak to panels and try to help young people understand that this is a a full-fledged profession and that you can, you know, something that if you love the theater, this is a job that might be right for you. I think a lot of people, and, and I was one of those people when I was trying to be an actress and I kind of can't help but put it in quotes when I say that because when I see like how talented Jennifer Samard is and everybody else I've met in my career, the idea that I ever thought I could call myself an actor is a little bit absurd. But anyway, um, you know, I think a lot of people are attracted to the theater, and so they think, oh, well, I need to write plays, or I need to direct plays, or I need to design them, or I need to act in them. And of course, the that the function within all of those that, that people know the most about or think they know the most about is acting. So you think, oh, I love the theater, so I want to be an actor, so I will become an actor. And then for me, the minute I had the the least bit of an opportunity to be in the theater doing something else, it was like a great weight had been lifted. You know, suddenly I was in the place where I should be. And that happened to be a producer's office. And they were we were producing the play Execution of Justice, which was being cast by Johnson Liff. So after the play opened, and it was a critical success, but a financial failure, <laughs> or not a commercial success, I guess is a better way to put it, a more positive way to put it, um, I went to work for them, and I stayed there for 15 years. So I, I very quickly saw that I, and, and found that I was in, in my place, you know? And that meant being an assistant for about five years. I mean, I did casting while I was an assistant, but back then, it was, it, every, the roles were less defined, you know? I would go off and cast something, and then I'd come back and do the expenses and file photos and be like, Phew, don't have to cast today, this is, you know, this is a break. And then I'd go do some more casting or associate on something. So it was a, it was a little less defined in those days, but, I, you know, I... That's I, when I first met you, yes. with the late, great Vinny Vinny Lish. Lish. Mm-hmm. yeah. So over the years, you have seen thousands of people audition at this point, right? I mean... Um, what what do you think makes a good audition? Um, well, preparation. I always say. I mean, you know, the more prepared you are, the the more able you are to deal with the flagging energy energy in the room, the fact that you're maybe not feeling your hundred percent best that day. Whatever Jennifer could probably give us a better list of like the things that might happen that, and you could. Mm-hmm. Maybe you agree or don't agree, but the more prepared you are, hundred percent. That's number one. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I do agree with you yeah. that the more, which is hard when you do get an inevitable twenty-four-hour yes. or forty-eight-hour notice audition, but the more you can be off the page 
while still holding the page, <laughs> the better. Mm -hmm. So and also and yet not be married to it for when you get feedback from the director, so that you can adjust. But you. Uh, I, I digress a little bit. You're also one of the most kind casting directors. <laughs> Thank so you. One, it's true, and I've told you that. Or when I've had to cancel because of illness, or you never felt, made me feel punished. <laughs> but um, it's preparedness, I guess I agree with you. And, um, and truly, as an actor, you can't underestimate what it's like when you have a warm room, which is why I bring up your oh, kindness. Wow. It just fosters creativity as opposed to an authoritarian environment, which quelches it. It's culture it's, word, did I yeah. think? Okay. Okay. Yeah. It's, it's um, I, thank you for saying that, but you know, I, I, I did kind of learn that from Vinny and from Jeff, and so I always say it's like saying, you know, my husband's great, he doesn't beat me. You know, it, it's like, like to do less than that would not be, it just wouldn't be right, and you can only try to make, like you think about what an actor does every day, to, for, as part of his life, part of his profession, her profession. And you think the least we can do is be open and receptive and kind or warm, whatever you want to call it, while that person is in the room. It, just, it seems you like anything less. <laughs> well, maybe, I don't know. But anyway, that's, that's, that's the, the, it's, it's, um, it's like a circuit of energy, isn't it? Because we're getting that from you, and yeah. you're getting, I hope, getting that from us yeah. too. So that you know, that's the most the creative environment you'd want to be in, right? Sorry, no, go ahead. Um, as far as the lull in the room, I've always found it's the right, the appointment right after lunch is a little tough. <laughs> Everyone is a little sleepy, sloopykins. <laughs> I think <laughs> that's know? true of everything, yeah. right? I mean, yeah. remember back to school, you always had science or math right after lunch, <laughs> and it was a struggle, so. Yeah. <laughs> I'm Victoria Cash. Thanks for calling the Lucky Land Hotline. If you feel like you do the same thing every day, press one. If you're ready to have some serious fun for the chance to redeem some serious prizes, press two. We heard you loud and clear. So go to LuckyLandslots.com right now and play over 100 social casino-style games for free. Get lucky today at LuckyLandslots.com. Available to players in the U.S., excluding Washington and Michigan. No purchase necessary. VGW Group. Void prohibited by law. 18 plus terms and conditions apply. It is Ryan here, and I have a question for you. What do you do when you win? Like, are you a fist pumper? A woohooer, a hand clapper, a high fiver. I kind of like the high five, but if you want to hone in on those winning moves, check out Chumba Casino. At chumbacasino.com, choose from hundreds of social casino style games for your chance to redeem serious cash prizes. There are new game releases weekly, plus free daily bonuses. So don't wait. Start having the most fun ever at chumbacasino.com. No purchase necessary. DTW, void, were prohibited by law. See terms and conditions 18 plus. Um, well, do you agree with the old saw that 90% uh, of directing is casting? Oh, that was, um, I think, Mike Nichols, wasn't yeah, it? Yeah. Um, well, to a certain extent, I would love to think that that is true, <laughs> obviously. Um, it elevates, you know, what I do to a certain extent. And, and yes, there are times when someone is just so perfectly cast that you do begin to think, like, I wonder what they're going to do for four weeks in that <laughs> rehearsal room. Like, you know, how can it possibly... You know, the, the audition just seems so deep and complete and detailed, and you think, I wonder what they're going to do together. But um, I know there's always something. <laughs> um, but there's also, you know, so much of casting isn't just the kind of casting that Mike Nichols did. So much of it is finding that person who can 
dance and do triple pirouettes and sing a high C and cover a principal part. Who am I anyway? Am I my resume? That is a picture of a person I don't know. What does he want from me? What should I try to be? So many faces all around. And here we go. I need this job. Oh, God, I need this show. Yes, that is 90% of it. But then... The other aspects, replacement casting and ensemble casting, I think there's a little bit more to it, you know? That's where a director comes in to say, that's where a director has to take that leap of faith and say, okay, I think think he can understudy this part or she can understudy this part. And I think that by observing and being in the show and, you know, by working with us, you know, that's where a director, I think, really um, is challenged. When you're putting together an ensemble or or a group of people, how much of it do you think about individual personalities in terms of shaping that cast? Does that come into it at all? Or is it all talent-driven? Do you mean like someone that will work well with others? Correct, right, right. So outside of the star casting and the principles and, you know, this person is particularly right for this role, when you're looking at the ensemble or the whole group, does do you look at individual personalities and work ethics or does that is that not part of the decision-making process when you bring people in? It's a really good question and um, it's something that I think people would be surprised to... Um, to know about what you know the the way in which uh, your work ethic and your reputation can follow you, and the interesting thing about it, from my point of view, is that directors are usually pretty forgiving because they have that four or five weeks in the in the rehearsal room, and then they have the previews and everything, and they're gone. But dance captains and stage managers who are you know in the thick of it with the company day in and day out, they are less forgiving about the person who didn't know his part or the chronic lateness or, you know, chronic, you know, just not having a good work ethic. So I always encourage people to, you know, just, it's like, you know, you, it's what you've worked for your whole life. So why would you squander the opportunity on, you know, not making it the most important, that's your job, so why, why would you not make it the most important thing in your world during the time that you're in that company, you know, no matter what your, your role is? Um, but yes, that work ethic and, and reputation is important, and I do think that there are personalities, you know, some directors love, I don't know if they love, but they enjoy challenging actors, and some prefer someone who will uh, pretty much go along with what their plans are for the role. Um, you know, if something is original, some actors are better at that than others. And um, someone who's going to get pages, all of that during the process. So we, I do keep that in mind. And I guess even more important is just like a general tone of a, of a personality, you know, and a tone of matching those 
things together, the, the more ineffable part, which I think when you were um, reading those, those descriptions of what people in our business think that casting directors do, that's the thing that I don't think everybody really understands is that whole sort of the like me becoming the actor for a moment and figuring out, you know, that kind of uh, the process of trying to understand whether or not a person is is going to make this language come alive, is going to be able to be, you know, make this be a denizen of the world of this play. And the the more um, the things that have more to do with emotional intelligence than than what you can write down on a piece of paper. I feel like that's what people don't get that we do. And that and not me, every anyone who's a good casting director is constantly sort of like in another person's head. So you're literally putting yourself in someone else's shoes for a moment and seeing it through their lens. I think so, yes. And sometimes that person's the actor and sometimes that's Edomar Moses or, you know, you know, it's another it's a writer and sometimes it's a director. It's just um, it yeah, you're kind of constantly putting yourself aside and putting yourself into another consciousness, another set of circumstances. That's really interesting. It's fascinating to think that you're you're putting yourself in the minds of all the other, or not all the other, but many of the other creatives. And they do they do that? It, it doesn't seem like it's necessarily reciprocal, right? The director does the directing, the you know, so on and so forth. But you have to put your shoes in. You, you have to put your you have to put yourself in many other shoes in order to do what you do so beautifully. Well, I think we yes, and I think what we're doing is actually kind of trying to. I always say, you know, we're there to assist their to be part of their imagination. My imagination is secondary to that imagination that, that they're sort of collaborating. You know, they're making, Edomar and David Cromer and, and David Yazbek are all making a world together. And so that collaboration is going on and I have to kind of like try to get in there. Bit by bit, putting it together. Piece by piece, only way to make a work of art. Every moment makes a contribution, every little detail plays a part. Having just the visions, no solution, everything depends on execution, putting it together. Audiences and theater makers are, are increasingly being more mindful about diversity in casting, and not just, um, you know, in terms of uh, race or gender, but, you know, size, ability. Um, you know, there's been some really incredible, you know, milestones made in the last short few years mm -hmm. of people breaking barriers in terms of diverse casting. How do you incorporate that sort of mission, that idea, into the work that your firm does? You know, it's um, the very first Casting Society of America meeting I ever went to, which I think was in like 1987. There was a presentation by about the non-traditional casting project, which was like an early movement to bring non-Caucasian, non-traditionally cast people into the casting process. And a special room was set up at Equity so that casting directors could drop in and go through files. And so I, I referenced that mainly to make the point that it's something, it's an issue that casting has been really trying to be um, at the forefront. We have tried very hard to push diversity and inclusion and, and 
I think because of that, you know, we've we are finally at a place where it is the center of almost every conversation that we have about casting. So I I think that you know the world we live in and the culture that we serve um, is now sort of requiring us to make sure that it's always a part of our conversations. And so it's kind of for the cat from a casting director's point of view, it's kind of like, phew, okay, it's like, it's, you know, it's, let somebody else be the leader on that. You know, like we've been pushing this for a long time and doing everything we could, doing as much as we could, I guess, probably not everything. So it, I, I am really relieved that, you know, the, the pressure is on all of us to make sure that's part of, of everything we think about and that in terms of stories that we're telling, in terms of the kinds of actors who are telling them and, and across the board. Because it is a collaboration, right? It's not, I mean, the casting director's not making the decisions. Right. It's, it's the creative team, right? So right. you could be there with that mission and you could be presenting to people, but ultimately it is the decision of the director or the producer or the you know the choreographer whoever is involved and it's a it's a, a really um, you know it's a great question because we find ourselves at the crossroads between sort of like an intellectual freedom and a, a, a mission to use your word to correct something that's been wrong for a really long time so i have to constantly be thinking you know, I'm, I, I've always kind of defined my job as, as serving another person's imagination. But now I actually am taking this role where I'm saying, well, I don't really care what you're imagining. <laughs> or, you know, yeah. it, I, I mean, I, I do care what you're imagining, of course, but like, um, can we think about what you're imagining and try to uh, see how we can, you know, involve our mission in it? Right. So, And part of that's just, Bringing more people into the room, more device. Like it, the 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 end result or the end uh, decision is the director and the creative team. But the more people you bring in that might be out of the box or not traditionally cast or whatever you want to say, that can only help everybody. Correct. Yes. yes. And you know, I think it also comes in programming. Um, you know, when the Westport Country Playhouse decides to do. In the Heights and uh, a Lynn Nottage play, and you know, as part of their season, then that gives us an opportunity to be telling stories that you know we don't traditionally think of as Westport. So, yay, Mark Lamos on that. You know, for, it comes from people. All of us have to all be thinking about it all the time. Art isn't easy. Every minor detail is a major decision. Have to keep things in scale. Have to hold to your vision. You work with Westport, as you mentioned. You work with Yale Rep, is that correct? Yes. And you work with a few other regional theaters. And is there a huge difference in casting for those institutions than casting on Broadway, or is it relatively a similar experience from your perspective? Um, from my perspective, I would say that casting in regional theaters is a little bit more difficult because the the creative standard is the same the desires of the creative team are the same and yet we're asking people to leave town leave home especially at an age where great high quality television is you know is being made in New York right now and so you know i realize that it's not a small um, 
decision for an actor to make. I'll go away for 12 weeks and you know be away from my family or be away from my partner or have to sublet or you know uh, you know the financial considerations. So it's um, it's not easy. It's really fun. You know that's where we encounter a lot of the the new and early career voices. Yale Rep has, you know, working there for over a decade has introduced us to all kinds of people that we wouldn't have met in the commercial world. And so, you know, I love that part of it. But it's it's difficult. It's difficult to find the people, you know, who they want to and and uh, tell, you know, but they're telling more and more exciting stories. So, you know, it hopefully will continue to be able to attract top people. Jen Samard, can oh. you I'd like to go that? Well, to, as a callback to what you said earlier, I did have a lot of experience before I moved to New York in more dramatic plays and Shakespearean plays, and that's actually my jam. I love that, but in New York, people know me as a comedian and a musical theater gal, so it would interest me because that's something I love to do, but most mm -hmm. people don't know, but... There's a Law and Order clip to your point. Um, but, um, so you're ready for Hedda Gabler somewhere? Hell yes. Okay. Um, what, Tara, what advice would you give though, to a young person or an aging actress <laughs> who is interested in doing what you do for a living? Well, I would encourage them to. I would encourage that person to. Um, it's hard for more senior people because. Uh, Usually, casting is something that you learn from the ground up, and yeah. so you start at an entry-level job or an internship. And so, um, I'm not saying that if you're a mid-career or midlife person that you couldn't come into our world, but it's just it's it's not a high-paying profession for any of us. And so, you know, it's there, especially in the theater. You know, we we lose a lot of our great casting talent to film and television, where the you know, there's a union for um, benefits, and the more standards for the standards are higher for the 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 pay structure. So, I would encourage that. I would also encourage them to go to the theater as much as they can, see people. You know, see everybody they can they can can see, and um, just begin to think about how all of that is put together. Small amounts, adding up to make a work of art. First of all, you need a good foundation, otherwise it's risky from the start. Takes a little cocktail conversation, but without the proper preparation. Having just the vision's no solution. Everything depends on execution. The art of making art is putting it together bit by bit. You may have just answered part of this question a moment ago, but now that there's so much television and so much content and so many different services, Netflix, Hulu, all creating original programming. How has that world changed your world? It's had a, a big effect. Television and has had a, a big effect. You know, the, the writing on television, we're like in a new golden age. I think that the content is, is so high quality. Um, the people who we used to cast at Yale Rep are all on the HBO series and, you know, now. Um, and so it's sort of had a trickle-down effect in the sense that people who used to go to Yale Rep now can be, you know, people who used to be on Broadway 
now do the series regular roles. People who used to go to Yale Rep are, are in those series because there's so much of it, you know, and doing, doing major roles and all of those, those things. So it has, um, it has left us being very, we have to be really, um, what can I say? Like we have to include everybody in our mix. And it's exciting because we are kind of giving opportunities to people, not just saying, oh, can Jen Samar do it? Great, we'll have Jen do it. We're, we have to go into casting. We have to go into the process and do find you really people. have to, though? You could just give it to me. <laughs> <laughs> you could. If she wasn't on Broadway. <laughs> so it has been, it has really had an effect on, I, on my work, especially because I work pretty much exclusively in the theater, so... Although you did cast Another World, correct? Yes. yes. Um, what is it about New York soap operas that was so attractive to cast Broadway actors? Was it just the availability? Just that they were, they were just available and New York is just full of great actors? Was that? Yes. And, and you know, New York theater actors were accustomed to, they could learn scripts really fast. They could take pages and, and make them work. They were, you know... They'd gone, they were trained, they had great voices, and they had the discipline because you were basically shooting an hour-long series every day, you know? Yeah, if you if you Wikipedia any soap opera and look at the cast list, it feels like it's 80% Broadway actors. It's really incredible. Here in New York, yeah, that yeah. was that was super, super fun too, to put all the people from all the musicals, you know, putting them in and, and giving them that that first television job, many of them. It was really fun. I bet it was great. Yeah. You take me away to another world. Well, I have to ask about another sort of institution, uh, the Fan of the Opera, which I believe you've been casting for, I don't know how long, but the show's been running for 31 years now? 30, yeah, 31 years now. Um, what challenges does a long-running show like Phantom present to you as a casting director in terms of keeping it fresh or, you know, infusing the show with new talent? Well, with Phantom, I would say it, we were blessed with Hal and Jillian mm. um, because they never sought to preserve it as a museum piece. They always wanted it to be a living, breathing piece of theater. And so, you know, although we haven't changed things, we have, I started to use the phrase that I hardly ever say, is like kept up with the times. You know, I can't believe I started to say that, but that's kind of it in the sense that, you know, the way that the company sounds now is in keeping with the contemporary, you know, the way contemporary musical theater sounds. It, doesn't sound like Rent, but it doesn't sound like John Rayet. Mm. And so, I, and the fact that they understood that that would be part of the, the maintenance of that show on some level, um, I think has kept it fresh. Me, 
and I think that um, diversity and inclusion has been a big part of that, you know, having lots of different kinds of people playing those parts. And that goes back to how too, doesn't it? With Robert Guillaume in the 80s and the, the Los Angeles companies. So, you know, I, I, when I went to see the revival of Oklahoma at St. Anne's, um, Hal and Stephen Sondheim were there in the audience wow. and they were sitting together. So I think they had come together. And I just thought, of course they're loving this. That's their brilliance, is that they're, you know, that they don't make museum pieces out of their work, that they're constantly being, you know, that their, their creativity is, is being informed by the time and place that they're living in. It's pretty, pretty cool. I don't think there's a better example of that than Stephen Sondheim, who, who lets almost any production of one of his shows take a chance and do something different, which is, for better or for worse, his work is always evolving, and it's fascinating. It doesn't always work. Sometimes it's brilliant. But it's really interesting how that happens. That was sort of the inauguration of my company, was doing that Sondheim um, celebration at the Kennedy Center. And, you know, the, he entrusted all of those pieces to young directors who were Chris Ashley, Mark Brokaw, Eric, Eric Schaefer, Sean Mathias, you know, people who had, didn't have a big background in musicals, some of them, and just, you know, uh, unique new voices to to be, you know, mouthpieces for his work. And to your point earlier with that kid in the audition room who nails it and the person says, yeah, but they don't have a lot of credits. You know, you need to take a chance on people and, you know, and, and look all those directors you mentioned, look what's happened to their careers and mm -hmm. how great they are. And, Mm -hmm. you know, I just appreciate that. I do too. I do too. Um, we have one final question that we ask everyone, and that question is, was there a particular movie or show that gave you a love for theater? Well, you know, my, the first musical I ever saw, or the first professional show I ever saw, was The Pajama Game at the St. Louis Muni Opera. <laughs> um, uh, a place where Jeffrey Johnson was once a stage manager, as a matter of fact. Um, uh, and so, you know, I was that kid. I, it would probably have been something like seeing Bye Bye Birdie on television, because I'm from the Midwest and we didn't get to the theater a lot. So, um, but just, you know, we've all felt it, we've all seen it. It's like watching something and like suddenly the the line between who you are and that person on the screen gets really blurry all of a sudden and you start to think like, okay, here I go, you know, down that path. Tara, thank you so much for coming thank down. Thank you for having me. Thank you, you're the greatest. I really need Rob here, as you may be wondering. Casting is an integral yet invisible part of live theater. It's done long before you sit down to see a show. And unless you've watched the documentary Every Little Step about the casting of the 2006 Broadway revival of A Chorus Line, it's also done out of sight. So you may be wondering about this craft and how it has come to be an essential component of the art form. At a very basic level, every person you see on a professional stage was hired by someone as a result of some process known as casting. Today, given the high cost of commercial production on Broadway, most stars you find above the title or on a marquee are selected at the very genesis of a production. 
For example, Hugh Jackman will lead the 2020 revival of The Music Man, and the announcement of his casting was simultaneous with the announcement of the show itself. And his casting was very likely the reason that the whole revival will exist. But The Music Man is not a one-man show. It's been announced that Sutton Foster will play Marion Peru, and I'm sure the producer and director will make other key choices. But when it comes to filling out the balance of the cast, the production will hire a casting director, like Tara Rubin or Bernie Telsey, as examples, to coordinate the presentation of actors for consideration in casting sessions or auditions. During this pre-production phase, choosing who will be in the cast is a central business, alongside the coordination of a creative team. Casting directors don't make the decisions, but they do run the room and facilitate the process. They also negotiate, on behalf of the production, the deals to hire the actors who are ultimately selected by a director, producer, and creative team. Like so many aspects of the entertainment industry writ large, casting has become increasingly professionalized over the years, like Tara alluded to. While scanning the credits of a movie, have you ever wondered what CSA stands for when appended to the name of a casting director? Well, as Tara mentioned, CSA is the Casting Society of America, which was originally founded in February of 1982 as the American Society of Casting Directors. The CSA was created to establish a recognized standard of professionalism in the casting field. Of course, Tara Rubin is a member and currently serves on the New York chapter's board of directors. While it is not an industry union, in addition to promoting a standard of professionalism and excellence, the CSA also exists to provide its members with a support organization to further their goals and protect their common interests. Founded in Los Angeles, today the CSA's membership roster includes 1,000 casting professionals all around the world working in theater, film, television, and new media. Membership is available to those who have two years of screen or stage credit as primary casting director and receive sponsorship letters from at least two current members of the CSA, though casting directors who are also personal managers are not eligible for membership. The expertise and experience that a seasoned casting director like Tara Rubin brings to the process is invaluable in making sure that a production succeeds. In fact, when done right, it can have the impact of making you think that no one else could possibly play a given part other than the person who was selected. That's what I mean by invisible work. Next time you see a show, take a look at who did the casting, and remember that every performance really began as an audition. Jennifer here. That's our show. Thanks for listening. The Fabulous Invalid is a production of O&M Etc. and The Fabulous Invalid LLC. Our theme music is by Lucky Chops. Today's episode was edited and engineered by Aaron Kaufman. Find us on iTunes and online at thefabulousinvalid.com and on social media at Fabulous Invalid. And be sure to tune in next Wednesday. Hey, it's Leslie Odom Jr. here on the Broadway Podcast Network to tell you about the RISE Theatre Directory, a program of maestro music. RISE is a national online resource designed to connect and empower backstage and administrative and creative theatre professionals from underrepresented backgrounds. If you work 
or aspire to work in the theater community, this can help you find your next project. And if you hire theater professionals, search the Rise Theater directory to find your next team. Create your profile now and get more information by visiting risetheater.org. That's theater with an R E R I S E T H E A T R E dot org because only together we rise. With the Lucky Land slots, you can get lucky just about anywhere. This is your captain speaking. Uh, we've got clear runway and the weather's fine, but we're just going to circle up here a while and uh, get lucky. No, no, nothing like that. It's just these cash prizes add up quick. So I suggest you sit back, keep your tray table upright, and start getting lucky. Play for free at LuckyLandSlots.com. Are you feeling lucky? No purchase necessary. Void where prohibited by law. 18 plus terms and conditions apply. See website for details.